Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful, Dr. Rand McLean. Rand, are you ready to do this? Yes, sir. Ready as, ready as I'll ever be. Let's All do it. All right. Let's go. Dr. Rand went from being the youngest senior account manager in Deloitte's history to becoming a professional boxer, to being accepted to medical school at the age of 37, to becoming a leader on regenerative and sports medicine. His newest book is Cheating Death, The New Science of Living Longer and Better. Rand, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do. Well, as I tell people, I got into this mainly from uh, necessity rather than, uh, or they say desperation rather than inspiration, right? I had my own issues with uh, different injuries and trying to be the best I could at sport. So it only made sense that once I learned uh, oftentimes the hard way, you know, what can happen to you and what you can do to try and correct for it. Um, I was literally traveling down the road, uh, I-10, and thought about uh, my daughter who was on the way and said, Okay, Rand, you know, time to settle into some some career that's stable and that you enjoy. And and this was a this is the first thing that came to mind, fortunately, and I stuck with it. And now it's what I do. I do uh, regenerative and sports medicine. Regenerative medicine is really about optimizing health, increasing what we call health span, which is a combination of both quality of life and longevity. And uh, I have a great job, and I hope to do this until I can beat the guy's record who is apparently still practicing at age ninety nine. Okay, nice. I, I, I love it. Um, so uh, one of the questions I had for you was, what, what is it that really drives you? I'm fascinated by people that excel in a certain area and then are able to change gears and to shift. But you mentioned your daughter. Yeah, I mean, she was a big motivation because I had to settle down. I, I, uh, I, I really was blessed uh, so far, still am, with a great life. Um, got, got to pursue a lot in sport. I got into accounting, which accounting's not bad. It's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, I'm sure a lot of people think that way, uh, just from stereotypes. But uh, it's account. It's accounting. It's changed a lot, but it's still accounting. wasn't Wasn't for me. But um, yeah, I, I have to say that I was fascinated by the ability to control your health to a large degree with nutrition. Since I was younger, uh, 11 years old, I uh, my parents had a very small called library. Uh, Adele Davis had a book uh, that talked about controlling your health, or you know, certainly helping it along, as it were, with nutrition. And I was fascinated that, by that as a, at an early age. And I think that led to a lot of uh, experimentation with eating. What I read at the time, uh, my mom used to make us eat wheat germ pancakes, and we weren't allowed to have. Uh, um, you know, anything but maybe some jam or maybe some honey if we were lucky on it. And so from kind of all angles, if you will, um, I got into nutrition. And that led to being able to or trying to control other aspects of, of health with other avenues. I went to Chinese medicine uh, school uh, eventually and just was fascinated about the different things we have at our fingertips. And then, of course, when I got into Western medicine, uh, you know, knowing all the things we have now, that really was the impetus for the book is to get the word out, all the things that are available to us that weren't even a decade ago. So I guess the, the passion for the ability to control things, <laughs> namely our health, as well as uh, the fascination with all the really cool things we have available to us is what's motivated me to this point. Fascinating. As you're talking, um, I wrote down being healthy versus looking healthy. It seems like if you pay attention to the internet, it's a lot of 
I, I don't know if it's fad diets, but it's it's how can I make myself physically look healthy and look like I'm in shape? What do you think of that versus actually being a healthy person? Well, fad and diet are almost uh, interchangeable, right? I mean, th- th- those are uh, repetitive, right? Redundant, I guess is the right word. Um, and then, of course, you know, you're talking to a guy who lives out here in in, in uh, L.A. next to Hollyweird. It's not how you feel, it's how you look, right? All that kind of stuff. Now, that's the outside. Now, you know, and anybody who, you don't have to be a doctor to, to look at somebody and go, oh, boy, something's wrong with that guy or girl, right? Uh, when you get up close and look. Uh, so I would argue that the two, if you're talking about true health, do come hand in hand. If you're healthy on the inside, you'll look it on the outside. Um, there's a lot of fakers out there that get the assistance of the camera in Hollywood and that kind of thing. But I think the two are really largely inseparable. And that's why, you know, I get a lot of patients asking me, hey, Rand, what can I do to enjoy these next five years? I'll gladly trade my 20 years off the back end. Well, you don't have to trade. And if you think about it, why would you, if you're in better shape, if you're healthier, typically you're going to live longer anyway, right? So the two go hand in hand, not mutually exclusive. And that's part of the thing, uh, part of what I want to get across in, in the book too, is that you don't have to make that trade. It's funny to me how often people think that's the case. Well, I appreciate that very much. So wheat germ and I don't know that I really understand what that is, but just being totally honest, but we used to, there's probably a lot of folks that still really focus on that. One thing that I know we, people used to take a spoonful of like liver oil and we, I don't think that we do that much anymore. So how do you think about, for lack of a better term, ancient wisdom when it comes to nutrition and then uh, adding or accentuating that with all of the new innovations that, that you're focused on? Well, some of the ancient stuff is still around. We just don't realize it. Instead of taking a big spoonful of cod liver oil, we're taking it in an encapsulated form in gel caps. Um, when it comes to wheat germ, uh, we found that it's not as simple. There's epitopes on certain grains that can cause um, allergic reactions or intolerance. So not everyone gravitates or cottons to, to wheat germ. But I would say that by and large, the things that grandma and great grandma told you to do, you know, have lots of colors on your plate, mix it up, uh, focus on the, the uh, green leafies as it were. And, uh, you know, not too much in the way of sugar is probably still, now that's considered the ancient wisdom is probably still in general, a good guideline from which to start. I always say, you know, one, one uh, size does not fit all when it comes to diet and nutrition. There are some people, um, you know, Dave Asprey is a big proponent of staying away from uh, some of the grains or all the grains, really. And uh, that works really well for him. I know people that are less endomorphic and more ectomorphic than without grains. And I would argue on one of them, you know, those simple carbohydrates, I would waste away. So, again, start with a, a path that includes, if I had to generalize, you know, staying away from processed foods probably is always a good idea. Uh, staying away from um, things that have too much sugar, added sugar almost certainly, but too much sugar in general, whether it's naturally occurring or not. And I always joke, you know, many a, a competitive race has been won using pure sugar. I'm not talking about in those circumstances, but when you're, you know, just living our typical day-to-day life, not racing necessarily on a bicycle or, or on a track somewhere, 
then staying away from sugar is probably a really good idea. And moderating other things, the basics, you know, not too much alcohol. Um, those those general guidelines still work. Not that you have to exclude sugar entirely or exclude alcohol entirely, um, but probably want to keep an eye on those and otherwise just stay away from processed foods. I appreciate that. So with with your work today, I would I'm fascinated by like what what your process is. Imagine you get an idea and you think, okay, I, I, I wonder what kind of an impact that will have on health span, on longevity, and you go about testing it, but that's just my guess. Well, I'm not a researcher, so I'm not doing a lot of uh, hypotheticals and then uh, going back to the board and testing. What I can do, though, is I can come up with some hypotheticals based upon observation and engaging the CPU and then doing some research. Uh, one of the great things about going to school and with what we have available to us through the Internet is to be able to do what we call a dive or a deeper dive, a deep dive into what's been published. It is not something that a lot of people have access to at the level that they might like, uh, but you know things like Google Scholar or PubMed are a great start. I would argue that you should school yourself if you can in being able to um, really uh, evaluate the quality of a study. And there's a physician out there, Peter Atia, who does a great job of delineating the the way to do that. Uh, it's a great primer. Actually, it's more than a primer. Uh, there, you know, uh, he and others have pointed out that physician, uh, sorry, studies can be really flawed, um, and it gets into some mathematical and statistical uh, considerations. But um, in terms of the process, yeah, observation is the way we start pretty much in medicine, and from there we come up with with uh, the hypotheticals, uh, the hypotheses, and uh, from there you can try and, and judge what works and doesn't work. But, you know, that's really what, what you're referring to, I think, unless I'm not understanding the question, is really the purview of the researchers out there. I'm not a researcher, although I am involved in some studies uh, with stem cells. I, I'm not what we would call a researcher. I'm more of what we call a clinician. Got it. So somebody comes to you and they say, <clears throat> why, why do folks come to you primarily or some common reasons? Most people come because they don't feel right. And they've looked around as to why they don't feel well, asked friends, including Dr. Google on the Internet. And some way or another, they come in. Um, my focus is on health optimization, improving what I referred to earlier as health span. So people, if they've been to or not, but uh, a lot of them have been to their primary health care uh, practitioner and not gotten a good answer, like, hey, that's normal. Um, hey, that's just the way it is. Deal with it. Learn to live with that. If they're not happy with that answer, they they can oftentimes coming in to, uh, end up coming to me or doctors like me. I'm not the only one in town, that's for sure. But doctors who focus not on you know sick people or reviving people who have you know more than one uh, morbidity, you know, the disease process going on. These are people that are saying, hey, you know, I have been successful, for example, in life so far. Yeah, I'm 50 years old. I'd like to retire now or soon. I don't feel and I don't enjoy life like I did when I was 20. Can I do something about it? And don't like the standard answer. Those are the patients I typically get. And what is the potential answer? If I'm 50, can I feel as good as I did when I was 20? 
Yes, I found uh, some people feel better than they ever have. Now, personally, I'm 60, so I can't speak to it directly, what happens after this age, but I can speak to, you know, the patients I've seen where, okay, somebody who's 80 is not going to necessarily feel like they did when they were 20. But, you know, the expression about, you know, 60s, the new 40 and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot of that that does apply. So at least as far as I'm concerned, it's 60 and those patients I've seen, there's still a lot you can do. And if it's not in its entirety, there's aspects of your life that may, uh, that you, you may consider yourself better than you ever were before. And so that's still on the table, at least at this age. Again, as you go further in life, um, you know, there's certainly a lot better ways to spend it than the typical 75, 80 year old that's just spiraling down into old age, feeling and, and feeling sicker and being sicker. Uh, we know that this occurs naturally, but as I like to joke, but seriously, you know, uh, it's natural to get sick and die one day. So who says we want to follow the norms and the natural ways to do it? Uh, we have some really, really great ways available to us today to, as they say, turn back the hands of time so that you don't have to feel now, again, if you don't feel like you did when you were 20, you can certainly feel like you did when you were 30 or 40 again. And that beats for a lot of people, unfortunately, most people, what typical, you know, 75 year olds feel like now. Well, I'd be remiss not to ask what are, what are some of those ways? Well, and that's the, one of the reasons I wrote the book, because there's so many ways. Now, typically, uh, sort of what they call a no-brainer, and along with death and taxes, what things are going to head your way one day is, uh, you know, uh, hormonal changes. The Either the pituitary or the specific glands themselves that are activated by, by the pituitary are not functioning like they used to. So whether it's a reduction in testosterone or estrogen or thyroid or growth hormone, these things, uh, which affect your quality of life in a beneficial way, if they're adequate, um, they diminish and you don't feel as well. We can adjust those either through coaxing them into working like they used to or simply replacing them. Uh, there are ways to clean up what I call the cellular mess where, um, and I use the analogy, the cell has to produce a lot of things, uh, proteins, and those proteins have to be folded in a special way. Uh, messengers to other um, uh, cells close by or far away. At any rate, the function um, is not a burden necessarily, but there's a process by which we have to clean up the mess of doing that function. And if we don't do it regularly and we don't do it properly, we start uh, dysfunctioning. And there's a process that's innate called uh, autophagy that has to be activated and doing things like smoking and drinking too much or even simpler, not getting enough sleep, uh, not eating properly, not exercising at all. That can throw off that process of what I call autophagy or repair. And um, just by correcting that, by cleaning up the cellular mess, by activating autophagy, by getting out there and exercising again, you know, like I say, it's never too late, right? You were probably going to ask me that. It's never too late. By going back to getting enough sleep, by going back to eating properly, we can initiate that, that process again. There are also supplements and other procedures that we can use on a daily basis that can help initiate that process so that we can actually go back in time a little bit by, by resetting the, the information inside the cell. I call it the recipe book or the DNA, to use the right term, uh, so that the, uh, the cell functions properly again. And I thank you. I absolutely was gonna. I'm curious if if it's ever too late. No, 
know. I mean, you know, when you have a, something like, uh, just to be specific about it, if you have, say, um, a torn muscle or a torn ligament or tendon, um, you're not going to be able to inject stem cells into that area, and those are not going to grow back together. I, I joke, you can't turn hamburger back into a cow, right? But I'm not talking about physical injuries like that. I'm talking about in general at the cellular level, like I was just saying, making enough general repairs in a broad stroke that the body as a whole functions better, not specifically, you know, a torn tendon, which requires surgical repair. And thank God we have those tools too. Those are tools for regeneration as well. Those aren't do-it-yourselfer tools that we have a lot of power uh, to utilize and, and um uh, quite easily in a lot of cases and cheaply, but uh, they all come together to promote that health span I keep referring to, which is what everybody wants. I don't have anybody coming to me saying, hey, I want the reverse. I want 20 in the back years. You know, I don't care if I'm miserable, but, you know, do anything you can, Rand, even if it means quality of life diminishment now so I can get an extra 20. It's the opposite. And, and that's what the book is focused on, using all those tools available to us and also giving a peek as to what's down the road, not just 10, 20 years down the road, but really a year from now even. Life is a series of trade-offs. And it's possible that I do need to, if I'm not currently in the habit of lifting weights or engaging in cardiovascular activity, that I'll need to start doing that. And people could perceive that as bad. Well, you're saying if you're if you're already doing it or you're not doing it. If if I'm not currently doing that, you and I'm saying are, okay, I I do need to make some sacrifices today by doing some uncomfortable things that are different than I'm currently doing. Well, yeah, that goes into the psychology of it all, right? I would argue because, yeah, the way you look at it is important. But you could say, look, I'm looking at it with the most positive outlook I can give, Ram, but I still hate doing my cardio, right? Well, okay, then we need some reframing, and that's more of a psychological issue. But the, the the science is there, and maybe for someone like you, if that if that were you, uh, you wouldn't really cotton to the idea of you know running thirteen miles a day or getting in shape for you know a marathon or a triathlon of significant distance or any distance, right? But still, you know, if we could get you gardening, let's say. Um, something that requires some movement, you would still be way better off. And in some cases, you are better off than someone who's probably maybe, if not probably, overtraining, which isn't good for you either. There's this concept of hormesis where, you know, too little of a good thing is not good for you. Uh, too much of a good thing is not good for you. And that sweet spot is is the right spot for you. Uh, and that goes into other details about, you know, just this specific area of exercise we're considering. But typically something is better than nothing. And then to what degree works best for you is 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 subject to your individual preferences and genetics, et cetera. Everything in moderation. Yeah, that's one of those uh, that reminds <laughs> me, you know, uh, there's a section to every rule. That's a rule. Therefore, there's an exception to that. Yeah, that, that's what a catch 22 is semantic steel thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, hormesis goes into that. Yeah. You know, to, to what degree do we go is important. And, and uh, the doses or the sorry, the poisons in the dose and the, those kind of expressions. 
But in this case, you know, the very definition of life includes movement. So I would say we got to talk into to some movement, even if it's just parking further from the, the grocery store to get a walk into the store. Everything counts. Love it. Well, Rand, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and engage with you? And where can they get their copy of Cheating Death, The New Science of Living Longer and Better? Well, the first one's easy, or the last one, I should say. That, uh, there's a website called cheatingdeath.com, which makes it easy. And, of course, the usual culprits, uh, Barnes & Noble and Amazon, et cetera, uh, have the book on sale. Websites, uh, we have one, uh, PSR, Papa Sierra Romeo, med.com. Um, I like to keep uh, good content on there for people who just want to dig into some of these therapies and, and what's out there, the latest and greatest. And of course, we also have Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn accounts, all of which we try and keep up to date so that there's plenty of avenues. You can pick your favorite as to how you want to keep in touch and, and uh, you know, see what the latest and greatest is. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Dr. Rand your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Pick up your copy of Cheating Death at cheatingdeath.com or wherever you'd like to buy your books. Follow Dr. Rand on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and then go to psrmed.com and keep up and educate yourself on some of these some of the things that you can be doing to not only live longer, but live better as well. Thanks again, Rand. Thank you, sir. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.